Texas is a big state with a lot of personality and problems. The magazine Texas Monthly has gotten to the heart of these stories for 50 years through compelling reporting that makes us think about what it means to be a Texan. This is Listen in Lubbock. For Texas Tech Public Media, this is Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah Self-Wall-Brick. Texans love to share our bona fides. I'll give you an example. How often do you hear someone bring up how long their families have been in this state? It's something we take a lot of pride in. And for what it's worth, I'm a sixth generation Texan. Texas Monthly has earned a new bona fide that's worth bragging about. The magazine is celebrating 50 years of publication. Dan Goodgame is the editor-in-chief of Texas Monthly. He joins us today to talk about the magazine's legacy and greatest stories. I'm thrilled to have you on the show, Dan. My pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us about the origins of Texas Monthly. Well, you know, Sarah, it's a very Texan story of grit and entrepreneurship. It starts with Mike Levy, who was from Dallas. He was the son of uh, first-generation Polish immigrants. His father ran a plumbing business. Mike was the first in his family on either side to attend college. He went to the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And after college, he sold ads for Philadelphia Magazine, which is a city magazine there. And he became aware of other city magazines in New York and Chicago and and similar places. And he thought, why not a magazine like that for all of Texas? And so he began pursuing that. He, He went to law school first at University of Texas, but he never gave up this idea. And after he got out, he began, first of all, he went to his parents and sold them on the idea. And they basically invested their retirement savings in what would be Texas Monthly. And the conventional wisdom at the time was that what worked for city magazines would not work for a whole state, that people feel very invested in the city where they, where they work and play, don't necessarily feel that, about, that way about the whole state. And that, is, that has been proven true in most states, but Mike knew that Texas was different. You mentioned in your introduction that, you know, Texans talk about how many generations they've been here. You know, there are statistics on this. Texans stay in their state much longer than people in other states. They are more likely to go to a state college or university. They will often meet a spouse there from a completely different part of the state and friends from other parts of the state and spend many holidays and weekends driving uh, many long hours across the state to see those relatives and friends. So that's that was an insight that Mike had, and he stuck with it. And, you know, that's why we have the magazine we do today. What made the vision different from what was already being done in Texas? Well, in Texas at that time, remember, let's think back to 1973, we had multiple newspapers in in several of our major cities, and quite a few of those newspapers were doing good work. The city magazines, you had a couple, not nearly as many as you do today. In fact, several of those, including, I think, D Magazine was launched about a year after Texas Monthly. But in any case, there was really good coverage of metropolitan areas or, or even regions, but nobody was really covering the whole state, and particularly in the way that you know, Mike and Bill Broyles, his, his uh, uh, initial editor, had in mind covering everything about the state, covering everything from politics and business to, you know, barbecue and swimming holes. 
And that's pretty close to what y'all do today still. You know, that vision has really stuck. But how would you say that it's evolved over time? Well, you know, it was it was amusing to me, Sarah, when I first got this job is that a lot of people, including, you know, people who interviewed me would say, so, you know, what's your vision for transforming Texas Monthly? What's its new mission? And I said, you know, it doesn't have a new mission. The mission it was launched with is as relevant today as ever, and that is to uh, deliver the best storytelling about Texas, and that includes the best ways to enjoy the state. What has changed is technology and consumer preferences. Those change all the time. And if you want to survive and thrive in any business, you have to adapt to that. So all journalistic organizations have had to adapt to the Internet, all the ones that want to keep going. And everything that it spawned in terms of consumption of video storytelling, audio storytelling. And if you think about, you know, when the Internet really began to rise, many Americans, uh, so-called digital natives, roughly those who were born in 1975 and later, they still read books in print, but they prefer to read news and magazine-style storytelling online rather than in print. Many in those generations also prefer to get storytelling through video or podcasts or live events. So the key to Texas Monthly's resilience is its expansion of its storytelling to all of those platforms while continuing to produce a quality print magazine. I mean, we've got millions of Texans who read the print magazine either as subscribers or through pass along every month. So we still want to serve those folks. But the other platforms are the ones where the audiences are growing the fastest. So, you know, our mission, you know, is, is still to deliver the best storytelling just in different ways. I'm excited to dig into y'all's upcoming projects a little bit more later in the show. As you've mentioned, you've been at Texas Monthly for a few years now. Tell us more about you and the current Texas Monthly team. Yeah, I arrived after a long career in both newspapers and magazines covering everything from the police beat to the White House and wars in the Middle East. And I'd been a fan of Texas ever since I'd visited with my family when I was eight years old. And uh, I visited often as a national political correspondent for for Time magazine and as White House correspondent during George H.W. Bush's administration, Bush 41. And I've been a fan of Texas Monthly, you know, since I started visiting the state and also particularly since I started judging uh, different categories in the National Magazine Awards. And that was in the late 1990s. And whether it was in the general excellence category or feature writing or public service, I would just be knocked out by the quality of journalism that was being produced at Texas Monthly. So it was a great honor to, you know, to be asked to become editor in chief. And I arrived really with two goals. The first is we discussed to deliver the best storytelling about Texas, not only via print, but also on its website, video, podcasts, books, live events, newsletters and Hollywood movies and series. The second goal was to pioneer a business model that will sustain quality journalism. So Texas Monthly was roughly breaking even at the time we got a new owner in mid-1989. And, you know, I, my counterpart on the business side, Scott Brown, president of Texas Monthly, and Randa Duncan, our new owner, formed a plan to uh, invest heavily in those new platforms and then eventually bring the magazine back to profitability. So we're very lucky, you know, to have in Randa an owner who's willing to invest the patient capital that allows us to do that. As a result of her investments, we're one of the few journalistic organizations in the country that's growing in audience, in revenue, and in editorial staff. 
You asked about our editorial staff, Sarah. It has doubled in the four years I've been here to more than 60 journalists. And by the way, our creative director and several others are devout Red Raiders. You know, we've added to the staff folks who are recognized authorities on everything from barbecue and tacos to energy and immigration. And the staff has become more diverse, going from one journalist of color when I got here four years ago to 12 today. So it feels like you've kind of just told me some of the answer to this, but 50 years is a long time for any business to keep going. What's the secret for Texas Monthly? Well, the magazine started, you know, and this is important to note, it started with what business strategists would call a very strong, unique value proposition. Nobody else was doing what Texas Monthly was doing, and it served a demonstrated need. So that, you know, delivering the best storytelling about Texas in a print magazine powered the organization for most of, you know, its first four decades, for 46 years, you could argue. And then over the last four years, we've given ourselves a much longer runway, I think, by expanding our offerings on the website, video, podcast, and those other platforms that I mentioned. Good storytelling is one secret to Texas Monthly success. After a short break, Dan Goodgame and I will share some of our favorite stories from the magazine. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to Listen in Lubbock, and I'm Sarah Self Walbrick. Texas Monthly is celebrating 50 years of telling Texans tales. Their coverage runs the gamut. A single issue may have a cover story about a beloved musician, and then just a few pages later, a long read about a lawyer who ended up in prison. I'm a longtime reader of Texas Monthly, and these stories are why. We're talking with the magazine's editor-in-chief, Dan Goodgame, about some favorites. My favorite Texas Monthly stories are about our culture. Texas is a diverse and fascinating state, and I love how well the magazine highlights that. Dan, tell us about one of your favorite culture stories. You know, if I had to pick one, Sarah, and particularly for, you know, an audience in the Lubbock area, it would be our March 2021 cover on Hank the Cowdog and his creator, and what that that franchise and that storytelling means to several generations of Texans, including, by the way, my kids who were born elsewhere. You know, we used to, we had a friend who spent a lot of time in Texas give us a bunch of Hank uh, tapes back when people, you know, used cassette tapes in their in their car decks. And when we took road trips, that was what we listened to. And my kids are grown today, but they can still recite, you know, large large chunks of some of their favorite Hank episodes. That's a good one. The magazine is also famous for its true crime reporting. One of my favorites is a classic, Love and Death in Silicon Prairie. It's a story about a woman who killed her lover's wife with an axe, which is an oversimplification of what is captured in what ended up being a two-part series in the magazine. Is there one that stands out to you? Well, first of all, Sarah, I am so glad that you like Love and Death. As you may have heard, HBO Max has produced a movie about that story starring Elizabeth Olsen that you'll be able to see later this year. I'm very excited for that. I will say another one of my another reason why that one's one of my favorites is John Bloom. I am a Joe Bob Briggs fan. And so when I found out that that is the same person, um, it was a real like, you know, light bulb moment of no wonder um, I like this one so much because it's just a very specific voice. Yeah, One of my favorite true crime stories is uh, one we called Tom Brown's Body. 
and it was uh, by one of our best writers, Skip Hollinsworth, about the mysterious death of a top high school student and athlete in Canadian Texas up in the Panhandle. We published a two-part cover story on that case you know, in, the, in the same way that we did for Love and Death. Uh, that was in late 2020. And we also did a podcast and uh, also a series of stories on our website. And by the way, that story has been optioned by George Clooney's production company for a possible streaming series. So it's not only a, a terrific you know, Texas story and would have been even back in the day before we were really doing anything on the website or in podcasts, but I think it's just all the more powerful because people can consume it in three different ways now and, and soon in a fourth way in a streaming series. I can't suggest the podcast enough. I will link to that in today's web version of the episode. Political stories are another big part of Texas Monthly. For example, Governor Greg Abbott made the cover twice last year. Once as the Bum Steer of the Year, which is an annual feature of the magazine, and again with a deep dive on who exactly Abbott is, written by longtime staff member Mimi Swartz. Dan, what makes Texas Monthly's political coverage so incisive? Well, from the beginning, Texas Monthly has sought to hold powerful Texans to account, whether that's in politics or in business or other realms. And we did that back when Democrats held all the top statewide offices. And we do it today with Republicans firmly in control. And by the way, we seek to hold accountable the Democrats who run most of the big cities, as anyone can see if they read our coverage of the leaders of Houston and of Harris County, for example. The challenge for us, Sarah, in covering politics, uh, as well as other topics, is that we don't just cover, say, the press conference where Governor Abbott announces that he's pushing to let parents use taxpayer dollars to pay their private school tuition. We have to find a way to advance each story beyond what you might have read in a newspaper or in the Texas Tribune, which, by the way, I'm a huge fan of. I think they do great political coverage. But, you know, we try and provide something extra, take a little more time, go a little deeper. We do that through... Uh, investigative reporting in documents and through interviews. We do it through smartly reported analysis by people who uh, have seen a few rodeos. And we do it through strong storytelling. You know, we try to find strong characters and scenes through which to tell political stories. And that often makes them more meaningful uh, to our readers. We hear that a lot from them. And I would I would say that a good example was our cover story about 15 months ago about the shift toward the Republican Party among a growing number of Latino voters in Texas, especially along the border. That was another good example. Journalists want to make an impact with their work. Give us an example of a time that Texas Monthly did that. One that comes immediately to mind, Sarah, was in the days following the big statewide blackout in February of 2021. Our writers were calling all their sources to try and determine, among other things, who exactly benefited from the huge increase in utility rates that came during that period, even as most Texans couldn't use their utilities and were without electricity. So one of our regular freelancers, uh, Lauren Steffi, who does a lot of writing for us about uh, business, including energy, got one of his sources to let him listen to a taped conversation in which the head of the State Public Utility Commission was assuring big Wall Street investors that he and Governor Abbott were going to work to make sure that those investors got to keep their windfall profits. And within a couple of hours of Lauren's story appearing on our website, Governor Abbott fired that utility commissioner. That is certainly an impact. There have been a few Texas Monthly articles that have really stuck with me. The first one I recall is Still Life by one of my all-time favorite writers, Skip Hollinsworth. 
It's a story about a high school football player who was paralyzed during a game. This article came out when I was in high school myself, and I distinctly remember staying up way too late to finish it and then being too emotionally wrecked by it to sleep. It's the first time I was affected by something that I read and just a moment that I'll personally never forget. Dan, is there a story like that that has stuck with you? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned the still life story, Sarah, because it's one of my favorites, too. And and it's another one that's attracting interest for Hollywood producers. So we're hopefully you'll you'll be able to see that one on the big screen. One of the Texas Monthly stories that stuck with me in that way, this is one that was produced well before I got here. It's another one by Skip Hollinsworth, and it's called The Day the Fire Came. Do you remember that one? I do know that one, yes. Another one that's relevant for my audience here in Lubbock. Yes, it's it's about a couple of cowboys from the Franklin Ranch, which is, what is that, about 70 miles uh, north and east of Lubbock, who saved their herd from a prairie fire at the cost of their lives and at the cost of the life of the fiance of one of the cowboys who just decided to come out with them that day. And Skip just did such a great job of setting up, you know, the the life of working cowboys in Texas. I I think people in other states, uh, even, even some urban Texans don't realize that, you know, there are still people who do this work and do it on horseback every day and who grow up with an ethic of protecting the cattle. And so when this fire came, it was it did not require a second thought for these two cowboys to mount up and go out and try and herd those cattle out of the way. And, you know, the scene that uh, always still affects me is where after after the cowboys and the fiance of one of them have been overcome by the flames, the cattle, all but a couple of the calves, make it to safety and walk into the pen. We'll continue our conversation with Texas Monthly's Dan Goodgame after another short break. Stick with us. Welcome back to Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah Selfwall Brick. Texas Monthly is celebrating its golden anniversary this year. Editor-in-Chief Dan Goodgame is talking with us about the magazine's impact and best stories. The 50th anniversary edition is a real delight. Dan, tell us about the Texas Icons issue. Well, we wanted to do something, Sarah, to you know publish a special issue on the occasion of our 50th anniversary in, in February. We started talking about this you know middle of last year. But we wanted it to be less about us than about, you know, this great, fascinating state that we're blessed to cover. We already were finishing up a book about the 50 Texans who've most transformed the state over the past 50 years. That that book will be out early this summer. And so we didn't want to do that in this special issue. And we considered focusing on the 50 most important events. But then uh, Mimi Swartz, who we've mentioned uh, earlier in the broadcast, uh, suggested that we look at Texas icons, then and now, then being 1973, now being now. And we all like that idea. What would you say it takes to be a Texas icon? Well, we considered people, places like the Alamo, businesses like, you know, HEB and Southwest Airlines and Dairy Queen, sports teams like the Cowboys and, you know, even traditions like Big Hair. 
our, our standard was, is it interesting and will Texans read it and say, yeah, that's iconic. That's a Texas icon. The Texas Icon stories are on y'all's website, along with an incredible archive of Texas Monthly's work through the years. I go to that website and whenever I'm in a writing rut and need some inspiration and kind of browse through the archives and see which one I either haven't read in a while or maybe one that I recognize but never got around to. What has it been like to make this content available in a new way? Well, everything we publish in print, Sarah, also goes up on our website. But the website also includes, in addition to those stories that were in the print magazine, includes 90 to 100 additional stories every month. So it's there's a lot there. Usually we publish a couple of our print stories on the site each day for a week or so after the print magazine comes out. But this time, you know, for the anniversary issue, we publish 60 plus print stories on the site all at once on January 17th. And we've made them available to anyone who registers with their email. Normally, after you read you know, two or three stories, you would hit the paywall. And um, if you were a subscriber, you could read more. And if not, we would ask you to subscribe. But we really wanted to make these available to a broader audience, both because we were proud of the stories and also in hopes that it'll make them want to subscribe. And uh, it's getting a lot of readership, the uh, February special issue and all those stories and good reviews. Uh, I'll say, except for one guy who wrote us at length to say that there was not enough about Northeast Texas. You can't please everyone. <laughs> yep. Now, you mentioned our you mentioned our archive, which now includes more than 900 feature stories, many of which we just digitized and added to our website over the past year. And that's available to all of our digital and print subscribers. And, you know, it's a great pleasure for us to see you know, thousands of people each week enjoying stories that we published 20 or 40 years ago. We, we have, you know, like most publications on our website, the, the most read stories at any particular moment. And it's really fun when, you know, a, a story that's 20 years old pops back up into the top 10 because someone noticed it, mentioned it to, you know, friends on social media, and then it takes off. Let's end on the future of Texas Monthly. You've alluded to a few of the projects that y'all have in the works, but what's next for the brand? Well, we've got a lot of great stories underway for print and for the website. We've, we've got assignments going out 12 months uh, pretty much at all times. Texas Country Reporter, which we bought early last year, is filming a new season of shows. Uh, I imagine many of your listeners are fans of, of that, you know, 50-year-old. They're, you know, just about the same age as Texas Monthly, a uh, 50-year-old beloved television show. We've got one new podcast well underway. It's, it's set in Stephenville and is about a serial killer whose diary our writer has obtained. We've got Hollywood studios and production companies uh, that have optioned several dozen of our stories. And we expect you'll be able to see at least three of those this year as movies or streaming series. We, uh, we're planning the biggest barbecue fest ever across two days this fall in Lockhart. And in terms of books, our Texas cookbook is still selling well two months after we published it. Our 50th anniversary book, you know, which I mentioned earlier, that's on the top 50 Texans who've most transformed the state in the last half century. That'll be published early this summer. And then our next book, which we'll be finishing up this year, will be an anthology of Skip Hylensworth's true crime stories. So we've got plenty to keep us busy. Dan Goodgame is the editor-in-chief of Texas Monthly. I'll link to the many stories we've talked about in the web version of today's show. You can find that in other local programming at ttupublicmedia.org. Until next time, thanks for listening in. <laughs>